Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it, it is Victory Lane. Today's episode 80, as you see, we got a special guest on, not Taylor Bray, but his older brother, Tanner Gray. He's the star of the show. But before we get into that, the crazy Martinsville mayhem that we saw, we are paying homage, or homage, to an oldster who is a current NASCAR Hall of Fame nominee, Jim Pascal. Here's my pops with more. Thank you, Doof, and welcome everyone to this week's Way Back segment devoted to number 80. Short track ace Jim Pascal won 25 cup races in a 421 race career, winning the World 600, now known as the Coca-Cola 600, twice in 1964 and 1967. One of those other race wins came in the number 80 at Martinsville in 1953. It's the only win for the number 80 in the Cup Series. Back then, Martinsville was a dirt track. Can you imagine that? Pascal took home $1,000 for his win in 1953, which was good money back then, but nothing compared to Chase Elliott's payday for winning the Martinsville race this past weekend which likely was some multiple of 100 times Pascal's winning purse. Pascal was elected to the Stock Car Racing Hall of Fame in 1977 and was an early NASCAR pioneer. His 25 cup wins puts him at the top of the list of eligible drivers not yet in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. He was a nominee for the 2020 induction class. He also boasted a remarkable statistic of finishing top 10 in more than 50% of the races he competed in, 230 of his 421 races. Pascal won multiple races in a season six times, but never ran a full season in his 23-year NASCAR career. One wonders if he could have competed for a championship. No Kachigas for this week. Back to you, Duve. We had a good run of Kachigas, but I guess uh, all good things must come to an end. Thank you, Father. Appreciate it. This episode is packed. As always, we're going to recap the insane, insane in the membrane cutoff race from Martinsville. How about that? Still trying to wrap my head around what happened. Preview the title deciding race at Phoenix this upcoming weekend. And as I mentioned, speak with Tanner Gray, driver for DGR Crosley in the truck series. Start off this show. As always, do it with me, people, with a good old-fashioned Martinsville cutoff craziness and the championship four field is officially set. You wanted your Game 7 moment? Well, you got it, and then some. How about that race that we saw, huh? We had drama, flipping and flopping on the cut line, craziness, the whole nine yards for all 500 laps of this thing. And obviously, you know what happened, but we'll get right into it. So Kevin Harvick struggled from the get-go. It was a very uncharacteristic day from the four team because we rarely see them struggle this badly. Like, they they just completely missed the setup. 
I don't know if they didn't do their homework or something was wrong and they couldn't iron it out in practice or what, but their car was just not good. So he was not good, but Chase Elliott, Martin Truex Jr., the two drivers that had to win the race and that had the best chance statistically of getting in by winning at Martinsville, they were really quick, as well as Bowman and Kurt Busch. They all were up front and leading laps and contending. Then, I think it was midway through stage one or something like that, Harvick cuts down a tire, made some contact with Matt Kenseth, and he has to pit under green, goes two laps down, could not get the free pass over and over and over again. Timmy Hill got it a couple times. Uh, Matt Kenseth got it once. He finally gets it, but while he's trying to get it and still trapped a lap down in 29th, 30th, 31st place, the 19 of Truex, the 9 of Elliott, 11, Denny Hamlin, 2, Brad Keselowski, they are all running up front, gaining stage points while Harvick is gaining none. And that proved to be dividends and pretty much the deciding factor in this race. So the 19 and the 9, they're running up front, contending for the win, running 1-2 in the top 5 all day. So is the 11. But they have a loose lug nut under a pit road, uh, a stop under caution, excuse me. So they have to come back and change that. And it ends up coming down to the final 50 laps at Martinsville. Of course it does, right? Harvick's back on the lead lap. Brad Keselowski has a speeding penalty. He's coming from the rear of the field back to the front. Denny's fallen, not like a rock, but he's not really maintaining his position. Um, Chase Elliott is leading and driving away with the thing, and he has his spot locked up as long as the caution doesn't come out. And there is a fierce battle at the cutoff line between the 4, the 2, and the 11. So let's fast forward. End of the race, right? Chase Elliott wins. He's into the final four. We'll, we'll get to him and give him his due. But him winning moves the cutoff line because you see the points as they run when you're watching NBC, right? Logano wins. That moves the cutoff line at Kansas. Elliott in position to win. That moves the cutoff line going into the championship four at Martinsville. Kevin Harvick needs one point. One, which translates to one position. He needs one of those to get into Phoenix. And if he got that, it would have been a three-way tie between him, Brad, and Denny. And by virtue of his second-place finish at Kansas, Harvick would hold the tiebreaker. So what does he do? He's running, I don't know if it was 10th or 9th at the time. Going into turns three and four, Kyle Busch is ahead of him. He's within striking distance. Instead of hitting him square in the door going into three, he tries to get his door coming out of four, clips his left rear quarter panel. They both spin. Kyle straightens it out. Kevin does not. He cannot cross the finish line with that one point he needs. And after nine wins of the season, being the dominant car through and through, having one of the best statistical seasons in recent memory in NASCAR in this millennium, Kevin Harvick will not get a chance to win a championship. He is eliminated from the playoffs in the round of eight. Chase Elliott is in. Denny Hamlin is in. Brad Keselowski in. And Joey Logano is in. Whew, God, it's uh, I'm, I'm recording this on Thursday morning. Had to do a little bit late due to some extenuating circumstances this week. Everything's fine. But um, I'm still like out of breath explaining it all. And God, watching it, my heart was beating out of my chest. It was, it was craziness that we were seeing. But we got to give Chase his due. I mean, this was a huge, huge win for him mentally more than anything else. I personally thought as it was winding down, and he echoed those sentiments post race. This is really, really big. Yeah, I, th I think you hit it. You know, I, I think it. Uh, I think it's huge. I think it's huge for me personally. 
I think it's huge for our team as a whole, each and every person that, that puts in time and effort to try to make our program work. Um, I, I think that when you, when you're able to be in a position that we were in, like we were tonight and have to go to perform and go to, and go and do that. Uh, I, I think everybody gains a lot of confidence from it and we, we prove to ourselves that we can do it. I think we always have believed we could do it. Um, but to go out there and achieve it certainly is something that we haven't experienced yet as a group and to win a championship in this series, you have to make the final four. We've seen the same crowd make the final four since this deal has been implemented. Uh, and we want to assert ourselves amongst the people who can make it consistently. And, uh, I feel like we're very capable of doing that. So we just have to seize the moment, enjoy it. This is a huge week. Um, and I'm just excited to get out there and, and um, try to have the best race we can. And also, you guys probably saw when you were watching it in the middle of stage two, I believe, TJ Semke is the MVP of the nine team this week. He's the jack man. And you saw he went over the wall too soon. He realized that mistake. So before he started pitting the car for service, he ran back touched his foot on the pit wall, which in NASCAR's judgment per the rule book, not just a judgment, but it's per the rule book, is reestablishing his position. And that way, since he reestablished himself, there was no penalty for a crew member being over the wall too soon. That awareness from TJ Semke allowed Chase Elliott to remain up front and contend for the victory and ultimately get that spot in the championship four. So here's crew chief Alan Gustafson on that pit road penalty that was then wasn't the awareness of that jack man it really may have saved their season and also alan talks about finally getting over the hump with chase as his driver and the nine team yeah i mean we, we're certainly aware of it I, I can't take the credit for you know coaching that into those guys i think that credit goes to, to chris berkey and our pit crew to coaches in our pit department and they did a good job of uh you know instructing those guys what to do tj what to do and it's a new rule um Man, I want to say it's new either this year or last year. It's it's certainly an adjustment NASCAR's made uh, to give those guys a little bit of forgiveness if that was to happen. And and uh, so yeah, they did a great job, and it was a huge uh, moment in the race. Uh, certainly, we didn't need the mistake, but for TJ to have the wherewithal to uh, to go back to the wall and reset was was great. It's you know this is we've been trying to take this step now for the last two or three years and and I feel like we've been really ready to do it and able to do it we just have not uh done it when it mattered and and uh today we were able to and overcome some pretty tough circumstances at Texas and and uh come here you know really in a must-win situation and being able to do it was uh was was great so it's great for the team super proud of those guys everybody at HMS uh certainly delivered brand new car great car um Tons of speed, obviously, great engine, you know, Picker did what we had to do, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a good day. We'll get to Denny, we'll get to Martin in a second, but I think besides Chase, even the bigger story, to be honest, is Kevin Harvick missing the championship four. It's, I wrote in my notes, insanity. Uh, nine wins for not, at least when it comes to winning the championship. Here's Kevin on his last lap move on Kyle Busch, and then his year as a whole, and I got to give him credit. You know, five, ten years ago, Kevin Harvick would not be handling this situation in the way that he did. But he's very matter-of-fact about the situation. He said, look, we've had a great year. Winning a championship would have been a bonus. I won't spoil any more. I'll let him take it from here. Yeah, it was just a move that I had to try to 
you know, knowing that I needed one point and I, I needed to hit him, you know, square in the door. But at that point, I was, I was too late and wound up hitting him in the back. So, just a hail mary that that didn't work out. I mean, we had a great year. You know, these, like I said earlier, I mean, these just they aren't they aren't won the same way that Earnhardt and Petty did. You have to, you know, put together a, a few weeks and. You know, we didn't put together these these last few weeks like we needed to, and just came up short. Um, no, I've been punching the gut a lot harder. You know, we won nine races, had a great year, and and like I said, you know, the, the championship is is kind of a bonus. Um, you know, I, you know, it'd be great to win it, obviously, but I'd rather go through the year and and win races and do the things that we did, and and just uh, you know, just came up short. And of course, as the race was transpiring, the Twitterverse was going crazy and it was ablaze with takes of this championship format, whether it's good, whether it's bad. If a regular season champion who had as dominant of a season as Harvick did should have an automatic buy to the final four, all this stuff. So here are Kevin's thoughts on this playoff format, keeping a driver of his caliber, having a season like the four team at Stewart House Racing did out. Yeah, you know, that's the system that we work in. You know, and, and uh, it's obviously skewed more towards entertainment than, than the whole year. So, you know, it's it's exciting to watch and, and has that, that format that, that goes with it. And, and you just, you know, you take them as they, as they come. And, and, you know, it's just we race with in the system that they give us and do our best. And, and it just, you know, it just didn't work out for us. So we just, um, you know, the last three weeks didn't, didn't exactly go exactly how we needed them to. And, and you got to be right when you get to this round of eight. Keywords there skewed more towards entertainment, and I challenge you to find me something that disproves that theory, and I will leave it at that. Uh, But I'll get to to the format in a second. Denny Hamlin also barely got in, and I wanted to get his thoughts on Harvick missing out on a chance to go up against him for the championship because knowing Denny and the ultimate competitor that he is, he wants to go up against the best. Now, if he's able and fortunate enough to win the title... It's not going to feel any different, but I'm sure if he beat Harvick for it straight up, it may feel a little bit better. He has a little analogy to baseball here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's they wanted a game seven moment. You know, the only you know issues I have is that you can't ignore the first eight innings. Um, and myself and Harvick obviously have dominated for most of the season, uh, but it's a three race schedule. I mean, I uh, heard him say in his interview, it's you know, it's these championships are a little different than what, what they used to be. And, and obviously um, they come down to one race and it's not a, um, it's not a full body of work for your whole season anymore. So um, as far as excitement, sure. We got some excitement uh, this, this week and uh, we got the guy with nine wins, not in the final four. Somehow. Denny legitimately seems like very sad for, for Harvick, which I get because as I mentioned, you want to beat the best to be the best. And it's also been all year, back and forth, the 11, the 4, Indianapolis comes to mind. Specifically with those two cars battling each other, tooth and nail, Denny blowing the tire from the lead late in the going. Uh, But those two teams, crew chiefs, Chris Gapehart and Rodney Childers, Denny and Kevin as drivers, the pit crews, the engineers, the teams in general, they've had a lot of admiration for each other throughout this really fierce battle. And although it may not be a rivalry per se with the drivers, you know, hating each other, it was a really cool dynamic to watch play out throughout the season. So I can see why Denny's a little bit perturbed by that specific scenario. Martin Truex Jr. was really, really fast as well. Led a handful of laps, but unfortunately in the last run, had to pit under green due to a loose wheel, which is kind of a microcosm of their 2020 season in, in a way. You're really, really close to getting that victory and to being one of those dominant cars, 
but little things here and there just kept them from contending. It sucks, you know. I mean, uh, team team did a great job. Did uh, you know we were doing what we had to do there, and um, you know that that run right before the loose wheel, the car was just uh, phenomenal. I mean, it was the best it had been all day. It was it was absolutely perfect as I perfect as I could ask for it to be. And uh, we were just driving away, and then you know we we pitted, came back out, and um, fired off there, and it was it was just really really tight, and you know started vibrating lap two or three of that run, and you know, the nine passed us drove away and we were just dropping like a rock because the right front tire was loose. So they don't turn too good when the right front wheel's not tight. Uh, it's really unfortunate. I felt like we were going to have a hell of a race for the win. And, um, you know, I really felt like we had what it took. But you got to do all those little things right. And we didn't today. Also by the skin of his teeth, I believe it ended up being by eight or nine points because Harvick spun coming to the checkered. Brad Kozlowski makes it by the skin of his teeth. Was he aware of the point situation with Harvick late as he was mowing him down through the field after his speeding penalty? Well, I, I asked him to, you know, to gain seven spots I needed. Uh, and it was just a matter of I knew he had some teammates in front of him that obviously could help him out a little bit. And, uh, I was very close. And uh, there's just only so much I can do about him. I, I was trying to focus on just myself. But, of course, I wanted to know, right? Well, I've been there too, uh, Lee. I won six races in 2014, didn't make the championship four, most of anybody, uh, the entire year. And uh, I'll tell you, it stings. And I feel for Kevin because I've been there. Um, but, uh, you know, the format is what the format is. Not our job to decide the format, it's our job to race the format. And I'll ask for that. Just really quickly, before we talk about the Xfinity and the Truck Series races and get to our interview with Tanner, I mean, I've talked about it on the Grid Challenge with my boy Andrew Curlin this week. I talked about it with Mike Bachman, who um, uh, produced the podcast from for his stuff. But, like, the format, it is what it is. And Je- Jeff Gluck has said about the package that he's done spewing negative energy out there because it's no point because it's not going to change. And I, I personally enjoy the format because I like the drama. I like the suspense. And I enjoy seeing, you know, drivers and teams raise their game to a level at certain points. But when you see an instance like this occur where somebody has such a dominant season, again, one of the most dominant ones in in the last 20, 30 years, and they don't even have a chance to win the title, part of me says, okay, something's wrong here. But part of me also says, look, you got to play the cards that you're dealt. Chase Elliott, Logano. Keselowski and Hamlin, they played those cards that they were dealt better than anybody else in the in the field. Harvick just happened to have two really uncharacteristic weeks in a row. Um, Kansas, if he doesn't have the specific rules package that we have, he wins that race. Texas, if it doesn't rain and NASCAR throws the caution a lap sooner, he doesn't hit the wall, knock the toe out, and have an uncharacteristic day there. And Martinsville, if they maybe came a little bit more prepared, or if Matt Kenseth didn't come out of retirement because Kyle Larson didn't say the N-word on iRacing, maybe he doesn't cut his tire. There's a lot of what-ifs, and I know some of those stuff is like, okay, whatever. But some of that stuff is legitimate. Like, there's so many what-ifs in this specific scenario, but what-ifs don't do anything. This year is not about, and this format is not about a 36-race schedule and what you can do for consistency's sake. This format... And this iteration of NASCAR racing rewards what have you done for me lately. Your season, once you get to the 10-race playoffs, is three races at a time. You can't think ahead. You can't look back. you got to focus on the moment. 
be where your feet are, and focus on the three races that you have to get into the next round. I have no doubt that Harvick, Childers, and everybody were doing exactly that, but circumstances happened and prevented them from advancing to the final four. Round of eight, obviously the competition gets super stiff, and it just didn't work out for them. And like Kevin said, I mean, it doesn't take away from what they've done this season. I think part of that is lip service, and I'm sure he wants to beat everybody's ass into the ground this week at Phoenix. But at the same time, he knew what was happening. I mean, he even got over the radio at one point and said, stop telling me the point scenario. I understand. Just let me drive. So you can see he was a little agitated. And I'm sure that NASCAR is probably saying, well, it's it's not the best thing in the world that the regular season champion with nine wins and 67 playoff points didn't get to the Final Four. But I'm sure they're also saying, look, we got a Game 7 moment. We got the most popular driver in the Final Four. We're going to have a great finale. And we're probably going to have a scenario like this happen in the future. Now, if Joey Logano or Kyle Busch were in Kevin Harvick's shoes, I'm sure a lot of the fan base would be not as upset and perturbed about it. That's just the reality of the situation. Your play, you need to play the cards that you are dealt. It's three races at a time with this format and this iteration of stock car racing at the highest level. If you don't like it, you got to learn to live with it and deal with it. That's what everybody's been doing, and I suggest you hop on if you haven't already. Because this format's not going anywhere, and it's not going to be changing anytime soon. All right, mini rant over. Xfinity Series action at Martinsville. Harrison Burton wins his second race in a row and breaks his father's, Jeff's, record of being the youngest winner in Xfinity Series history at the paperclip. Had some familial ties in victory lane, too. Jeb Burton came over, congratulated him. And I thought that was interesting, too, because uh, I think the last time that the Xfinity Series raced at Martinsville, Harrison Burton was like three, four years old. It was in 2006, which is nuts. Um, but that that was pretty cool to see him win. And he said afterwards that he wanted four wins preseason, and now he got them. I was curious, coming off of a bad year, where does that confidence come from? You said earlier that your goal going into the year was four wins, but coming off of a winless year in trucks, as you mentioned, what gave you that confidence to think that you'd be able to turn it around and get to victory lane four times? Well, the biggest thing was our performance in the Xfinity Series when I ran part-time last year. We showed speed. Uh, there was races where I feel like had I had have had more experience, I probably could have won. Uh, there was times where I made a mistake that took us out of contention, but we did a great job leading up to that, and and I just knew we had to finish a deal, right? Uh, and that comes with experience and confidence and and knowing what you have to do uh, and knowing what you need in your race car. Right. Um, so yeah, obviously, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a goal that we wanted to have that would lead us to the championship, but it's nice to kind of put a goal on the paper and, and reach it. Um, now I don't know, Chase Briscoe put up an even loftier one with like eight or whatever he said, but he got there. So maybe we just need to set the goal higher and we'll win more. Junior Motorsports' Noah Gregson misses out. He finished third but had to win the race to get into the championship four. But you have Austin Sendrick advancing, Justin Haley advancing, and Justin Allgaier all advancing on points to get into the championship four, joining Chase Briscoe, who won at Kansas. On to the truck series. Win to get in was the name of the game for a lot of people in that series. You had Sheldon Creed and Brett Moffitt already punching their tickets, which means two spots were open, and Grant Enfinger got one of them. Did just that in terms of winning to get in at the end. It wound up being him, his teammate at Thor Sport, Ben Rhodes, and Christian Eckes, who did not wreck the 99 truck, on the restart for a green-white checkered finish. 
Eckes bumped the 99 out of the way a little bit, which allowed the 98 to get clear, and he cruised to the victory. Fourth win of the season for Enfinger, one of his, actually not one of his, definitely his best career statistical season to date. Here he is on whether or not having teammates not competing in the championship four helps him because he got three GMS trucks and one lone Thor sport. Hey, Grant, congrats on the victory. You're going to have all your teammates being willing to help you out next weekend in GMS. They have three of their trucks fighting against each other for the title. Do you think that's significant at all? No, I mean, at the end of the day, it's Phoenix. It's not like it's not like we're out there practicing or testing where we could really help each other. The only thing we can do as teammates is, is kind of hurt each other at a, at a track like like Phoenix. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to to, uh, you know, have the same kind of speed that we've uh, had a few times this year and maybe be able to, to take advantage of this great situation we're in. Zane was just on. He was calling this more like Bowman Gray instead of Martinsville. Do you kind of echo those sentiments? Ah, uh, not Bowman Gray. <laughs> Bowman Gray is even rougher than this. But uh, you know, kind of, kind of knew it was going to be like this uh, going into it. Uh, this race is always crazy, whether it's a playoff race or not. But this being an elimination race and four guys getting eliminated after this was, was definitely you, you knew going in uh, that there was going to be some wild and crazy stuff happen. So, uh, fortunately, we were able to to have some good track position the second half of the race. We we're able to to not avoid the craziness, you know, but we were in front of a lot of it. So uh, I definitely feel like that that worked out good. It also worked out good where we, we kind of gained our track position and then everybody pitted there with 50 to go, which the tires were here um, more so than not. So I've, more so than, than years past. So I felt like that actually made the race in a little bit better tonight. Thanks, Grant. Joining him is Zane Smith of GMS, Sheldon Creed of GMS, and Brett Moffitt of course, of GMS. They are all championship four bound in Phoenix for the truck series. Interview time. Speaking of the truck series, very pleased to welcome on a full-time truck series regular. It's been a while since I've had a national series driver regular on the show to talk with, but it's Tanner Gray. He drives a 15 Ford F-150 for DGR Crosley in the truck series. We talked about a lot of things, um, everything from his upbringing in New Mexico, funny stories about him and his brother at the go-kart track growing up, K&N days. We got into a lot about his drag racing background and why he was so dead set on coming into NASCAR and going circle track racing when he already had a career and, and a pretty good life built out for him over there on the straight line side of things. So I won't spoil it anymore. I won't take up too much more of your time. But here is Tanner Gray on Victory Lane. Another one of my old K&N buddies, and I say that because we're both young, and it feels like it was just yesterday, but Tanner Gray is my guest this week. Welcome on to the show, Tanner. Of course, he is the driver of the number 15 Ford for DGR Crosley in the truck series. How's everything hanging? I see you're at the shop enjoying everybody's company. Season's winding down, and congratulations. You've made it this far. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. It definitely feels like an accomplishment just to just to at least make it this far with uh, with how stressful everything's been. But um, yeah, just just hanging out at the shop today and uh, hanging out with all the guys. And um, I think we're we're definitely really excited to go to Texas and uh, hopefully uh, it'll be a good one. So I know Tanner and I just said you know we've known each other for a, a couple years now, going back to when you decided to go the circle track racing route and stock car pavement racing but I haven't gotten a chance to know you a little bit deeper and, and touch on your background. So I did a lot of research last night. I do my research, Tanner. And I know that you were born in New Mexico. And 
I guess naive me being on the East Coast, I was just like, oh yeah, probably by Albuquerque, cool town, whatever. But you were nowhere near Albuquerque. You were near Texas. What was the town? Artesma? Artesia? Uh, Artesia. Artesia. Okay, there we go. Yeah, Mexico, yeah. So what was it like growing up out there? It seemed like that's not really a hotbed for circle track racing at all. And I think I heard a story that when you guys were young, your dad would pull you out of school and take you to the dirt modified track. Yeah, so my dad, uh, he raced dirt modifieds around there. And um, we'd go and, and go with him. Uh, or I, I went with him since I was young, you know, and just loved it. Right. And uh, would just go to the dirt track with him and um, try to help out as much as I could. Well, I thought I was helping out. I was pretty much just scraping <laughs> mud. But, uh, but yeah, I loved it, man. And it, it was always fun for me to go. That's what I looked forward to every weekend. But um, Artesia's a, a really small town, not a, not a lot to do. Um, basically I feel like it's made up of the oil and gas industry mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, that's cool. You know, that's what my family, uh, kind of came from and whatnot. So, um, you know, it's, I feel like that's kind of what a lot of what Artesia is, but, um, you know, it's, it's desert and, um, yeah, I mean, I think we're like four or five hours away from Albuquerque. Yeah. I looked it up last night. Yeah, not not super far from it, but definitely not close. But uh, we're kind of over there by ourselves. But, um, but yeah. Well, it's interesting, though, because you're four or five hours from Albuquerque, and you say that's not that far. But four or five hours from where I'm at right now, like right outside of D.C., you, you can get to New York City from there. So it's like it's so different the the concept of distances like living out there because I've never been in New Mexico. I really want to go. But living out in Artesia, like growing up, what was it like for you? Were you always involved with racing? I know you're a third generation racer and we'll get to that, but were your friends into it too? Like, were you a stick and ball guy? Take me through your childhood there. Yeah. So I grew up playing sports, um, mainly baseball, but, uh, obviously my family was always involved with, uh, with racing. My grandpa was drag racing and he was driving for Don Schumacher in the, in the NHRA stuff, driving a funny car. And then my dad was racing a dirt modified and then, um, when I was about, I want to say eight or nine, my dad uh, got more involved with drag racing. And so he kind of started drag racing a little bit more, but, um, but yeah, I was always involved with racing as far as my family went. Um, as far as people around, you know, me and the kids I went to school with and stuff like that, it was not racing. There is not near as big as what it is in North Carolina. Um, I feel like you can go to school in North Carolina and it seems like everybody uh, has someone that they know that races yeah. or, or their dad's racing or they're in racing or whatever the case may be. But, um, but yeah, New Mexico, it's, it's not really like that. It's either, you know, their dad's, like I said, in the oil and gas industry or, uh, you know, they're just a normal kid going to school and, and playing sports and, and, and doing that. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was cool to grow up there. You know, I definitely, uh, enjoyed it. You know, it's a, Artesia is a pretty small town, so it's not like, I don't know if you've ever been to Mooresville around here, but yeah. you know, really just like go outside your house and ride your bike around town. Um, Artesia, like I grew up, you know, and we'd, we'd go out and ride bikes around the town all day and, um, you know, people were riding their bikes to school. So, you know, it's it really, uh, a pretty cool, you know, childhood to grow up in and, and, and whatnot. And I definitely wouldn't change it, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a cool little area. So you said you played baseball growing up. What position were you? Well, I started out playing catcher and then I moved to shortstop. Yeah. So was it hot wearing all that catcher gear in the desert? I can imagine that had to be hell. Yeah, no, it was, it was hot for sure. But like at that age, I was probably, 
shoot, I don't know. I played till I was 13, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we took it really serious out there. So we went to like the little league world series and stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah. We played in the USSA little league world series and, um, like there's a, there's a bunch of all-star teams around there and, yeah. and stuff like that. So baseball and, and football are pretty big out there. Um, obviously football is really big in Texas, but, um, so that kind of translated over yeah. to, to Artesia, but, um, but yeah, so I, I played, uh, baseball and yeah, it was always super hot. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I can remember growing up and like, I remember my mom, my mom was that mom that would, you know, if we struck out, she'd be like screaming at us from the stands. <laughs> I believe so, it. Yeah, so you know, she would always like drop us off at practice and go, like, get your butt out there. I don't care how hot it is, like you're going to going to practice and stuff like that. And we'd always be like moping out there on the field yeah. it was too hot. And stuff. But no, it was it was fun and um I enjoyed doing it. I've been there, trust me. Instead of it being really hot though, sometimes we had to play in like little snow flurries and it was just freezing my ass off at third base, just waiting to catch a ball and then my hand just stung. Especially when you're at the plate. And you you hit the ball like right off the wrong part of the bat, and then your hands are just stinging for the next like three innings. That's the worst. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's like so New Mexico. So I'm I'd much rather be hot than cold. Um, really? New Mexico. Yeah, for sure. Huh. But New Mexico, um, you know, we're not far from the mountains either, so it gets pretty cold in Artesia too. Yep. It's not like it just stays super hot. But mm-hmm. um, down there, but luckily we were never playing any sports when it snowed, so it wasn't too bad. But um, but yeah. So I mentioned you're a third generation racer, Tanner. Your grandfather, Johnny, was a funny car and a pro stock champion on the drag racing side of things. Your dad, Shane, also raced. And I think you guys wound up moving east to North Carolina when you were around like 10 years old for your dad to pursue the drag racing a little bit more. When you when you were that age, I mean, were, did you have any concept of like what was going on and why you were picking up your entire life and just moving all the way across the country? Or was it just something that you were just doing? No, yeah, I remember for sure because, you know, I was 10 when we moved and I was pissed. Um, you know, I remember my parents coming to me and telling me we were moving to New Mexico and it was like, or to North Carolina. And I was like, what the heck? Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't happy about it at all. And, you know, I was going to, you know, all my friends were in, in Artesia and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I can remember moving and like crying the whole drive. I felt like. I would be too. Uh, <laughs> the whole way there just because I was like I don't know what I'm getting into I don't know where we're going and and whatnot but um yeah I mean I'm I'm definitely uh really glad that we made that move though because uh definitely probably wouldn't be where I'm at now if if uh if we hadn't uh but yeah I knew that you know we were moving there to go race and and I knew that was what my dad was wanting to do and, and whatnot but uh you know as a kid and having to leave all your friends and stuff it was it was definitely tough but uh in the end, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that we made that decision. Yeah, all worked out for the best. So you were 10 years old. I guess what? You were probably like four, fifth, fifth or sixth grade at that point, right? Yeah, I was fifth grade. Yeah, I must have sucked. Damn, I can't. Because I always like had that fear. I was like, well, what if my dad or my mom gets a job? We have to move. Because like, you know, I mean, at that age, like friends are all you got, right? Because like, you know, you're feuding with your parents. You hate your brother, whatever. So like your friends are literally all you have. And I can't even imagine what it was like. Not even just moving like a couple hours away, but literally to the, a whole different region of the country. I, I guess you adjusted pretty quick to the lifestyle in North Carolina, though, and, you, and you're doing well now. So everything worked out. Yeah, no, it, it all worked out. Um, you know, being from New Mexico, too, we had never seen anything outside of New Mexico. Yeah. So I remember when we got to North Carolina, I was looking around and there was all these trees and stuff. And I was just like, <laughs> what the heck is this? You know what I mean? So, 
uh, it was definitely a, a culture shock, but um, yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm, I'm happy we did it. How often do you get back out to Artesia? Man, I've only been maybe twice since I've moved. Oh, wow. Yeah, just because since we moved, I feel like we, we've been racing. So I mean, your whole life's uh, here now. So yeah, exactly. And um, you know, my grandparents still live out there, so we've been out there to visit them and and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, I mean, since we moved, so my dad was going to go pro stock racing at that time. There's 24 races in the year. Um, and you know, it's Thursday through Monday cause we were taking commercial flights to every race. Um, and so it just takes up so much of your time. And when you finally do get time off, it's like the last thing you want to do is travel. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, but, uh, yeah, I've only been back like, like twice. Oh, interesting. Do you want to go back more or is it just kind of like, eh, whatever? No. Yeah. I mean, I'd definitely like to go back and, and whatnot. Like it's funny, like I'll sit there and, I'll see Facebook, a notification pop up and I'll look and it's like one of my old friends, like one of my old best friends from New Mexico. Past from the past. Yeah. And it's like, holy cow, you look completely different. But (laughs) (laughs) um, no, I wouldn't mind getting back out and just, uh, you know, going and checking it out for sure. For sure. Yeah. Makes sense. So I, as I mentioned last night, I was doing my research and I listened back to an interview you did for another podcast with Kelly Crandall. And I think it was in like January. It was before you even started the season, which literally feels like 10 years ago at this point. But um, you were talking about essentially how you're a third generation racer. And if not going into racing was even in the cards for you, because I imagine at a young age, you were seeing your grandpa do it, your dad doing it, going to the drag strip week in and week out. I mean, getting pulled out of school and going to the dirt modified track and just, you know, having a great time there. Was this all you ever really wanted to do? Like, was there even another option to do something? Was it always racing for you? Or did you want to pursue baseball, maybe football a little bit more? Was there anything else that was in the cards? Um, you know, I mean, I think I was, so I was really into baseball when I was little, when, you know, like I'd said, but um, I think I was so young then that I didn't really ever think about doing it for a living or anything like that. And honestly, I don't think I was good enough to go and, and do anything like that. Um, and I always loved racing and I always enjoyed being at the track and, and everything like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've definitely always known that I wanted to race. Uh, and, you know, obviously as a kid growing up, you kind of are always kind of change your mind on what you want to do. But you know, it's one thing that I've always been consistent with, I feel like. And, um, you know, whether it was different forms of racing or not, like I just always wanted to race. And um, so, yeah, I, I feel like, from a, from a young age, I knew that I, I wanted to race and, um, you know, it's just kind of a part of my family. So, um, yeah. I knew that I was probably going to do some sort of race. I didn't know whether it'd be drag racing or what it would be, you know, but, um, I definitely wanted to be involved with it. So let's talk about drag racing for a little bit before we get to the here and the now you've been told this at nauseum, I know, but just humor me. So 2017, you became the youngest NHRA winner at history. You were only 17 years old then. You won the pro stock title and eight times the next year in 2018 became the youngest champion in NHRA history. But even then I read that like in between runs and at the track, like you were still watching Xfinity truck, even cup races sometimes in between runs. So you were always dead set on circle track racing and coming into NASCAR while you were tearing it up on the drag strip. Yeah, so um, so the camera drove, drove was a junior dragster, and I drove that for a little bit, and I was like, man, this is kind of boring. And that was around, I guess, 11 or 12 when I did that. And uh, I was like, man, this is kind of boring. Like, it just didn't really for me. And so my dad got us into to micro sprints, 
and uh, I started running those, and I was like, dang, this is really cool. Is so that a Millbridge? Uh, so at the time, it was not. We were actually we actually ran here at East Lincoln, okay. like around here in uh, North Carolina, and then um, and then yeah, we went to Millbridge, and then I started going out to California, and then to Pennsylvania, and, and running all that, and um, really just fell in love with that, and, and loved uh, dirt racing and and whatnot, and then um, I think it was like 2016. Uh, my dad started talking about me running an asphalt late model. And so I went to LFR and, and ran that for a little bit and honestly just struggled really bad. And um, things didn't really work out for us over there. We just kind of, um, you know, had a lot of kind of weird things go on and, and, and whatnot. And so we just, things just didn't really pan out over there. So I, that's when I kind of pulled back from that. And my dad was talking about getting out of the pro stock car. So that's when I had, decided that I'd go drive that. And, uh, yeah, exactly. And so the, the whole time I was driving that, yeah, I was like, we'd go make a qualifying run on Friday and I'd go back up in the lounge and, and turn it on and, and watch the truck race and go make another run and come back and watch the end of the truck race. And, uh, you know, Saturdays I'd watch some of these Sundays during the race, I'd watch cup, but, um, yeah, always definitely been super interested in, in, uh, you know, circle track racing, you know, really no matter what, like not just NASCAR, but, you know, I'm really into the dirt strength cars and, and everything like that. So, um, yeah. So I've never been to a drag race in my life. I, I have no idea what the culture is like. I, it's on my bucket list. I have to, you, you gotta be my yeah. tour guide when I go. Um, okay, man. but I'm curious, like, did people in the garage, like know that this was for lack of a better term, like a means to an end, like you didn't want to stay there long-term you wanted to go to NASCAR. And if they knew that, like, do they have any resentment towards you about that? Cause I, I can imagine like in a NASCAR garage, for instance, like if somebody comes in, let's say from Europe, who's like a karting champion and they're like, Oh yeah, well I just want to like be here for a couple of years. And then I want to like go to formula one or IndyCar. Like people in the NASCAR garage would ostracize that person because they're like, you don't want to be here. Well F you. So like, what was it like in the NHRA garage? W were people nice to you about that thing or did they not really know? Yeah. I don't think a lot of people knew, um, you know, and I was so young when I got into it that honestly, like for the first half of my first season, like, I don't know if people really took me seriously. Like people just kind of like, Oh, it's just some kid trying to come race. Hmm. And then I started winning a little bit and people started paying attention a little bit more. That'll and, do it. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know if they really knew uh, a whole lot and, Honestly, I, people didn't really like me anyway, just because of how young I was. And, and then, you know, that's what I was getting at. They didn't really pay attention at first. But then when I started winning, I feel like a lot of people kind of started to not like me because I was a younger kid and I came in and, and was winning. And um, and honestly, probably didn't, uh, you know, I was 17. So, yeah, I started winning a little bit and I was like, well, well, damn, this ain't that hard, you know. And all these guys have been out here working really hard to, to win. And uh everything just kind of came together for me. So yeah, they didn't, they didn't really like me because of that. They kind of thought I was cocky and arrogant and, uh, you know, the same stuff that you get all the time, just a, a spoiled, spoiled kid that's yeah. coming in and not appreciating and stuff like that. Uh, so they didn't like me anyway because of that, but um, nobody really knew that I wanted to go, uh, you know, circle track racing. Cause during the time that I was drag racing, I was running my outlaw carts at Millbridge and um, still racing some of that stuff. So, uh, you know, they knew I was doing it, but I think they just kind of figured I just did it for fun and, yeah. and whatnot. Um, 
then in, in 2018, I think rumors started at the beginning of the year that, uh, that I was probably going to make the switch. And that's another thing I wanted to touch on because even while you were winning all those races and you wound up winning the championship, like before the season started, or at least really early on, you had already made up your mind that you were done after this year, whether or not you won none or you won the title, that you were going the NASCAR route. So nothing was going to change your mind and nothing did. Cause even though you won the championship, you said, see you later, I'm out. Yeah. And that's, you know, I'd actually made up my mind, like right at the, towards the end of the 2017 season, okay. you know, that I, I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to, to go ahead and, and, um, you know, come to this side of things and, and try to race again. Um, you know, and it was a, it was a tough decision. Cause like I said, in, in 2016, when I tried it, I just didn't feel like I adapted very well to it and it was a struggle for me. Um, and so I was definitely pretty hesitant on it. And so I think that's why I actually ended up racing 2018 seasons just cause I wasn't quite as confident as I needed to be to, to jump over. And I was kind of unsure about it. And then at the start of the 2018 season, me and my dad sat down and, um, you know, I told him, I was like, look, I, this is what I want to do. And he was like, yeah, I, I completely uh, support you. So we, we can do it if, if that's what you want to do. But he was like, just know, like there ain't going to be no coming back. Like once you make it, like it's either sink or swim. Yeah. And uh, so I, I understood that part of it. And, uh, so, yeah, I, I was pretty dead set on, um, you know, going and, and coming over and racing the Canaan series, um, you know, at the beginning of 2018 and, and whatnot. But uh yeah, it was definitely a, a tough decision to make. So why, why were you so dead set on it, though? Because, like, from my perspective, I'm thinking, okay, here's this kid. He's got a great family lineage in drag racing. He's got great equipment in front of him, behind him. Uh, he's He has winning races every single week. He's winning the championship. He has everything at his disposal. Like, I don't, I'm trying to understand why you were so dead set on the circle track route instead of just enjoying what you had. But I think in, in another way, you should also be commended for that because it's not easy to to leave something behind that is so successful on the outside. But I guess maybe you were feeling a little bit different internally and saying, I want to try this new thing. It's a challenge for me and it's what I've always wanted. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much it is, you know, I, I always loved um, NASCAR and the circle track racing in general. And um, I felt like I had a passion for that more so than I did drag racing. And um you know, I was really passionate about drag race too. Don't get me wrong, but I just felt like, you know, I just wanted it more over on this side of things, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's a, definitely a, a little bit more of a challenge in, in my opinion. And uh, I feel like I can confidently say that now that I've done both, you know, this side of things is just a little bit tougher and uh, whatnot. And don't, don't get me wrong. Drag racing is too. And um, there's a lot of good drivers out there, but I just, It'd be, it'd be tough for a lot of them to make the switch, I feel like, and mm-hmm. and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just enjoy this side of things more, and that was kind of what it came down to. You know, this is what I felt like I wanted to do long-term and mm-hmm. um, wanted to make a career out of it. Was having your grandfather be a, a prominent drag racer and your dad also have a career in it, did that put any extra, like, added pressure on you to, to try the drag racing thing? Or was that kind of unrelated and you just wanted to try your hand at it because it was right in front of you and why not? Yeah, honestly, it just happened. Um, I think one day my dad was testing um, before their chase started, which it's called the countdown, but um, it's basically their version of the chase. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was testing before the first race and I was out there watching him test, just hanging out. 
and uh, they were done for the day. And I looked at my dad and I was like, hey, can I try to do a burnout? And he was like, uh, I mean, uh, I guess. How I mean, old are you at this point? Like 15? I was, I was 16. Okay. So, yeah, I was like, can I try to do a burnout? And he was like, I mean, yeah, I guess. And, you know, so we, we pulled the car back up there and uh, I tried to do a burnout and that was terrible. I mean, like, <laughs> could, I felt like I could barely get the car in gear, you know, and it was um, – Definitely wasn't one of my most uh, proud moments. I was pretty embarrassed afterwards because, you know, like everybody was out there watching and, and whatnot. And I didn't realize how, how difficult it was going to be. And um, I went out there and uh, I actually put in gear and like started the burnout. And I was like, oh, this ain't bad. And I went to shift and I missed the shift and went to neutral. And then like the tires stopped and I was just like oh, sitting geez. there. Revving. Yeah, it was a disaster. Um, so they like back me up and they're like, we'll try it again another day. And, um, you know, I waited a little while, waited a little while. And then finally, you know, they ended up letting me get back in and try it. And I did okay the second time around. There you go. Actually, so my crew chief, he had a, uh, a cobalt that um, he had bracket raced a little bit. And so he told me that I could try to make some runs in that. So I got going in that and made like maybe three or four runs in his um, cobalt and then we went and got right in a pro stock car and started making runs in it. Your mom, Amber, we, we touched on her um, when we were talking about dropping off at baseball practice, but she has also been there through it all along, along with your dad, Shane. She watches races super intensely. Like I remember a couple K&N races, specifically South Boston when you won. We'll get there. Um, I mean, there were, there were tears flowing in victory lane like I'd never seen. And even too, like – just any race that you're in, I can always look up on the DJL hauler and she's in the zone. Like you don't want to get in her way. So what has her support meant throughout this all as well? Yeah, it's, it's definitely meant a lot. Me and my mom are super close and me and my dad are too, but my mom is, she's always kind of traveled me and my dad's always traveled with my little brother. So my mom's been there, you know, through the good and bad times and drag racing all the way up until now. Um, and so is my dad, don't get me wrong, but like I said, she, she travels with me every weekend. So mm -hmm. she's there to like see it in person every weekend, I feel like, and, and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been really fun to, to have her come with me and, um, you know, obviously you can't do it without, without mama. So, um, it's been, it's been cool to, to have her come along and her be so supportive and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just awesome to have, you know, parents like them that, yeah. uh, support us in, in everything we do. And, um, you know, want the best for us. You're a mama's boy. No shame. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I think fun or excuse me, pro stocks, they get up to around like two fifteen ish. Is that right? Yep. That's on a, on a, on a good track and a cooler day. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever been in a funny car? No, I have not. You want to? Um, not really. So at the end of 2017, um, you know, like when we were talking about, I had a lot of stuff going on, so it's kind of a, a mess here. But uh, at the end of 2017, when, you know, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, um, John Force actually called me and, and wanted me to come run a second top field dragster with oh, wow. him. And uh, we were really close to doing that. And then some things kind of fell through and uh, I ended up not doing it. But I was actually really excited to go and, and, and do that. I, I was pretty, I don't know. I was just pretty excited to go and, and try it and, and whatnot, but, uh, Who yeah, ended up falling through. yeah, that's interesting. Um, how do you prepare differently for a drag race, which can last anywhere from two to five seconds to a stock car race, which are marathons and specifically truck races, um, and even K and N races too. Like I remember you told a story on Kelly's podcast that like, I think your first race at new Smyrna, 
you know, like I think it was the halfway break or something, or even you got out of the car and you were like, oh my God, this thing is it's taking forever. Like I'm hot, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I'm exhausted. So what was that adjustment period like? Because I feel like that had to be one of the more drastic things for you. Yeah, for sure. Just getting used to the to the heat and, and whatnot, you know, because you get a little bit out in the pro stock car, but like you said, I mean, at max, we're in there for 10 minutes. Um, and then you make a six second run and you're done, exactly. you know, um, versus being in there for a couple hours. So yeah, the heat was definitely uh, tough for me to get used to. And like you said, back in New Smyrna, I remember like halfway through the race, I was like, holy shit, I'm hot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I was dumping water on me and, um, you know, I didn't really know much about it. So I didn't have a fan or anything at yeah. the time, like a helmet fan or anything. And you didn't like, know how to like prep and hydrate yourself either. Cause you didn't know. No. Yeah. Like, and I'm, I'm real big on Dr. Pepper and drinking soda. So like, <laughs> I'm to the point, like I'm just chugging Dr. Peppers and something like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, I'm just chilling. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and just didn't like, just didn't know, I guess. And, yeah. um, yeah, we just, so it took a minute to get used to all that and and whatnot but now i feel fine like i feel like i could get out at the end of the truck race and go and run another truck race right then like i yeah so I've, i feel like i've adapted to it um pretty good but um you know the, i feel like you know one of the bigger things that i figured out and i'm still trying to figure out is you know when i came over i always said i'm like drag racing is just a lot of mental stuff you know what i mean but i mean i feel like this is just as mentally taxing as, mm-hmm. as drag racing um, there's a lot of thinking going on and always trying to anticipate things that are going to happen and put yourself in good positions. And, um, obviously I haven't done a, a very good job of that the past couple of weeks, but, um, you know, I feel like I'm still learning and still trying to get sure. the hang of that. But yeah. So I mentioned South Boston. Let's go back to our good old K and N days, Tanner. Um, I guess it was what, 20, 2018. It, it must've been at South Boston. 19 2019 okay see my years are all jumbled up too um i remember that day though the twin races you won uh, i forget it was the first or the second but i think it was overtime and you beat sam mayer in the first one right yep um a lot of tears in victory lane mostly from your mom um big celebration as well i feel like that may have been the day where you're climbing out victory lane you're celebrating and you're thinking to yourself like all right like there might've been some days where I was like, oh, this is kind of tough. I may have underestimated this, but it seems like that day it, it may have been all worth it for you. Cause you finally got that checkered flag. Yeah. And it was definitely cool to, to win and, and whatnot. And, um, I didn't know it at the time, but, um, so I guess that was my fourth K and N race and the first right. ever drag race I won was my fourth drag race. Oh, wow. So yeah, it was kind of funny how that worked out, but yeah. can't believe you didn't really win cool. your fourth truck race this year, dude. Come on. Yeah, that's long gone, brother. <laughs> I don't think I was even close to my fourth truck race, but uh, I still feel like I'm not very close. Got to get closer. But uh, yeah, um, what was I saying? South Yeah, Boston. I mean, yeah, yeah, sorry. Got sidetracked good. there. Um, but yeah, it was it was cool to go there and, and run good. And, you know, honestly, I, I remember practice that whole day. We were really good throughout practice and qualified on the pole and, um you know, I was kind of upset with myself because I felt like I was running an okay race and ended up getting passed with like 20 to go. And, you know, was pretty bummed out that I got passed. And then, um, you know, the caution came out and we ended up getting a shot at it and ended up, I, had to, I think I had to move Sam a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously he wasn't super pumped with me, but 
Um, you know, I felt like it was racing and, do what and whatnot. Do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I didn't wreck him, so it wasn't anything that I was too ashamed of. But, um, but yeah, I ended up winning and was uh, really excited. And like I said, my mom was pretty emotional, mm. and <laughs> everybody else was was pretty excited oh, too. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, at the same time, it was kind of a tough one because it was like you just won and you want to just go like hang out and, and celebrate with the guys. But yeah. at the same time, we just, we had another twin race coming yeah. up, so it was like kind of had to you know, you know, get rid of all the emotions yeah, and, it's and like get robbing the celebration from you. That kind of sucked. Yeah. No, that's all right there. But, um, but yeah. And I remember also that year, Irwindale, you lost by that much to Trevor Huddleston. And I remember I was watch, I was standing in the infield, like right where the cars are staged for the break coming off a turn forward to the checkered flag. And I'm thinking to myself like, wow, he thinks this is a drag race again. <laughs> I remember yeah. that like it was yesterday, man. Yeah, that was a good race. That was, you know, really cool. And that's still, I actually saw like a rerun of it the other day on Twitter or something. I was like, damn, if I would have moved to the bottom like three laps sooner, I would have. Would have, could have, should have. Yeah, I know. So uh, that's definitely one that I'd like to have back. But um, no, it was, a, it was a really fun race. And, and, you know, I really enjoyed that racetrack. That was mm -hmm. my first time out there. And um, yeah, really cool race. And the competition difference between K&N to ARCA, the trucks i feel like the steps you may think on paper like that's ah, not that bad and then you look at the results and, and the race lengths and the competition and it's a crazy jump to each level and you've lived that in the past year year and a half can you spell that out for me like how big is the competition difference yeah i mean as you move up it's definitely um pretty soft and you know i think it just gets harder as you go uh you know i didn't feel like the competition difference was as big from Canaan to Arca, but definitely from Arca to trucks is when I saw it the most, you know, um, cause Martinsville was my first truck race and it was just like, Holy cow. Like these guys race hard every lap, you know? <laughs> and, um, and you know, that was on a short track. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from looking at it this year and being able to run a couple of Arca races this year, I felt like you had your select group of cars that were really good and you knew who you were racing. Um, and if you weren't, you know, in the mix with that, then it was kind of disappointing, but, um, yeah, the competition jump from Canaan Arca to trucks is, is definitely big and, um, kind of takes you by surprise the first time you do it. Yeah. And, I bet. Um, takes a minute to get used to. And, and you kind of, I felt like I kind of had to, in a, in a sense, kind of learn how to, to race all over again with, with those guys, just cause it's so much different than Canaan and Arca. I think I asked you this question after a, a post-race press conference. I think you finished top three, forget where it was, but you have always been really, really hard on yourself, like right from the get-go, even with K&N. I remember like your first couple starts, you didn't win or, or like you made one mistake and you were, you were hanging your head and you were in the dumps. And I was like, dude, it's okay. Like you're going you're gonna to make mistakes. Um, have you been able to work on that a little bit? Like, are you still as hard on yourself and are you still that driven to be perfect? Because I know on Kelly's podcast, you also called yourself an impatient person. So have you given yourself like more leeway and have you become more patient or are you still like down in the dumps after you just mess up? Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely hard on myself still. Um, and you know, I think a lot of people, like a lot of people will be like, Oh, don't be hard on yourself. But it's a lot easier to say, when you're not the one that's doing it, you know what Absolutely, I mean? If that yeah. makes sense. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, how I look at it is, you know, if you want to be good, then you got to hold yourself to a, a high standard and, um, can't really be satisfied until you, 
you know, meet that standard. So, uh, for me, that's just how I look at it. So yeah, I'm definitely hard on myself. Um, you know, I feel like I've definitely gotten a lot more patient, um, as far as that goes. I mean, I'm still, still consider myself pretty impatient and, uh, want things to come like now, but I feel like I'm getting better about it and kind of more understanding of the process and just letting everything kind of, you know, take its course and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely tough for me to, to, you know, just let things go. And I feel like that's something I have to get better at, but, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, I feel like I got to hold myself to a, to a higher standard if I want to be good and, and you know, kind of never be satisfied with, with what you've done and always try to strive to be better. Finding that happy medium is a good good goal and a good commonplace. And, and you talked about being impatient and wanting to win right away. Tony Stewart had some interesting comments about the Ford development program this past week, basically took a shot at Toyota and was like, well, they ruined people's careers. You are with the Ford development program now. You're with the likes of Chase Briscoe. Just got promoted to Cup. Austin Sendrick's tearing it up. Haley Deegan's going to be your teammate. She was your teammate at Kansas, hopefully next year as well at DGR. Being a part of the Blue Oval Development Program, they don't seem to be rushing anybody up any ladders, and they seem to have a really good plan as to where they're going to put their drivers and when. Um, what is it like being a part of one of those programs where you know like the results speak for themselves? It's just going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, no, it's definitely um, pretty gratifying to know that you have a, a good group behind you and people that support you and, and they're kind of there for the, the development side of it. Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to if you surround yourself with good people and good equipment, it kind of puts it in our hands and you either got to do it or, or you're not going to, you know what I mean? And if, if you don't do it, then you're probably not going to be there. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, it's it, like I said, it's definitely gratifying to know that you have um, a lot of good people in your corner, and uh, you know, it's definitely really cool to be a part of Ford and, and everything that they have going on. I'm really uh, excited that we were able to to be with them this year, and uh, you know, hopefully, we can make that last for for years to come. But uh, yeah, it's been been a lot of fun so far, and definitely look forward to, to doing it again next year. I got a few more quick ones. I want to be conscious of your time. Um, you're not too big on social media, are you? I was going through your Instagram and your Twitter and it seemed to just be like, not that much going on. And I feel like that's interesting because people your age and like my age, it's kind of like all we do. And we're like addicted to it to a fault, but you seem to be the opposite. So I'm low key jealous. Yeah, no, that's a, I, I wish you wouldn't have said that. Cause it's just going to give everybody here more, uh, <laughs> more things to yell at me about. They already, Pretend they already it didn't happen. Yeah, they already they already get on to me about it uh, enough as it is, but yeah, I mean, I, it's something I got to get better at, and I don't know. I'm just, you know, I definitely use it. I just, I don't know. Like, I I just don't find myself like I don't see a picture or something like that. And I'm like, oh, I got to post it. You know what I mean? No, I guess. Like yeah, and that's just how I am. Like, you know, I know that's one thing that they say around here that I got to get better at, but. I don't know. I'm, I'm working on it slowly trying to, to get better at it, but it's definitely a struggle for me. Like you see someone like Haley and, you know, I feel like that's all she does and, and she does a good job at it. And it's like, like you see stuff that she does and it seems like it just comes natural, but like I'll sit there and like have a post written up on like the little bill. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to post it. And I'll like yeah. push cancel and just like put my phone away, you know, but, um, but I definitely enjoy looking at it and, checking out what everybody else is doing. I just don't feel the need to <laughs> tell everybody what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's kind of something you gotta, 
do when when you start doing all this stuff and i, I got I definitely, definitely got to get better at it so i'm working on it i'm working on it you're working on it social media may not be one of your hobbies but i think golf is and it makes sense now that you played baseball and you're really good because your golf swing is beautiful tanner i mean i am trash like i don't play <laughs> but i'm terrible and your swing looks pristine like how often have you how often do you play how long have you played uh, I've played for for a while. Um, I started playing back in New Mexico. My mom used to send me off to to golf lessons. I think probably just to get me out of the house during the summer. But we'll pay um, it off. yeah, I mean, yeah, I like to play golf. It's it's fun, and I enjoy working at it. And uh, you know, I feel like honestly, it just teaches you a lot about life. And it's like we said, patience and stuff like that. Yeah, like, yeah. Golf is something that's it's super challenging for me, and something that I can work at. And something that I can work at and still try to be competitive about while not doing racing 24 seven, you know what I mean? Something to get my mind off racing, but mm -hmm. still have something to go and, and work on and be competitive at. Um, but yeah, I, I really do love golf and I like going out there with buddies and, and hanging out on the golf course and, um, you know, play for a little bit of money sometimes. Hey, there you go. Who do you usually play with? Any, any fellow drivers? Uh, not really any fellow drivers. I really don't hang out with a lot of drivers, honestly. Um, I honestly don't really have many friends. It's just me and two other buddies that uh, I play with. Okay. But uh, I play with uh, so all the Ganassi pit crew guys pit my pit my truck, mm -hmm. and uh, they're all into golf. So I play with all of them quite a bit, and uh, we have a good time. We'll, like the Bristol race, I stayed after and went and played the next day with them that morning, and then drove home. So cool. we try to make we try to make it fun. Yeah, we try to um, you know make it make it worthwhile. Are you good enough to have a handicap? Like, are you that good? Yeah, I think um, I'd have to check my my gen deal right now because I haven't. Well, and I'd probably be lying. I think it says I'm like a four right now, but I haven't been. Damn. Entering, yeah, I haven't been entering my scores in oh like a month. God. And I haven't been playing very good lately. I like, I played. Uh, I think I played like four or five days ago, and I shot like eighty three or eighty four. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't too good, but come on, dude, I can't even hit, I, I can't hit it off the tee. I literally can't do it. I've tried everything. Keep your, keep your head down, keep your eye on the ball and just swing it, man. Oh my God. This man's saying, oh yeah, I played terrible, shot an 83. Get out of here with that shit. Come on, man. God. Yeah. I, I will beat your ass at mini golf though. I will say. I doubt it. I'm pretty good <laughs> at mini golf, but pretty competitive mini golf too, yeah. but we used to have a little family tournaments at the mini golf place. There you go. So. Well, next time I'm down in North Carolina, I'll, uh, I'll challenge you to a little round of mini golf. Um, how yeah, about your dog, Leo? Does he keep you company at home? He seems like a good boy. Yeah. Yeah. Leo's Leo's my boy. Um, he's probably ready for me to get home and let him out about now, but yeah. yeah, he's, uh, he, uh, he's a cool dog and I got him back in 2017 when I was drag racing. So, um, definitely had him for a little bit don't know what I'd do without him. So, yeah, he's a um, yeah, he's, he's definitely fun to come home to when I'm, when I've been gone and, and whatnot. It's like, no matter what kind of day you have or, or anything, you come home and they're always excited to see you. So it's, you know, it's fun to, to come home to that. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll either go outside and play with you all day or they'll sit there and sleep with you all day. So, <laughs> you know, I, I love them and I love dogs in general. So it's cool to have them around. Tanner, do you have a nickname? Like, do you have an official nickname? Because I really think that the one that I've had for you over the last couple of years is going to stick, like, eventually. It's LT Gray, because your initials yeah. are TG, T Gray, Tanner Gray. It's got to work. 
So, like, growing up, a lot of people called me Tigre. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, besides that, not really. We got to um, make it happen. I know it. That's so. There was one guy on my on my team that, and that's where the TG15 thing came from. Mm -hmm. He used to just call me TG all the time, and then uh, when I was 15, he started calling me TG15. But that's <laughs> about it. I don't. I don't really have any nicknames. I pretty much go to go to anything. Is there any significance with the number 15? Because I know you run that in uh, drag drag racing as well. Yeah. Um. No real significance. Just kind of always been my number. Okay. And, um. Yeah. I mean. If, if they were to tell me I couldn't run it today, it wouldn't be like, okay. Okay, I got yeah, you. It's just kind of always been my number and, and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, it's cool. To, it, was, it was at least cool to be able to run it for the, yeah. the years. Too. Well, we've been talking for a while, and we haven't even talked that much about racing this year. So I got to ask you a couple quick ones about that. Um, yeah, there's when, when this episode comes out, there'll be two races to go in the year. But as we're talking, there's three races to go in the year. Missed the playoffs, but I, I think personally you're having a really respectable full-time rookie season with DGR. You got four top five finishes. You're, you're getting your bearings. If you could, could you rate how you think you've performed this season in trucks? Um, Yeah, about a C-. minus. All right. All right. Um, it's passing. Hey. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, definitely not the year that I've wanted by mm -hmm. any means. Um, you know, we've had a couple of good runs and, and whatnot. And, uh, feel like we've shown signs of, of having speed, but definitely not as consistent as what, um, I would have liked. Um, and I feel like, you know, there's been a lot of stuff that I've done. that's just pretty stupid. So, um, definitely got a lot of work, lot, lot to work on before next year and, and clean up. Um, if, if we want to, you know, make a run at, at the playoffs and, and whatnot, but, um, I feel like we're getting closer. Um, I feel like I'm getting closer still. Like I said, still not where I want to be, but um, I feel like we're stepping in the right direction. Yeah. So uh, I need to clean up a lot of the mistakes on my part and, and whatnot and uh, put myself in better positions and um, try to go from there. You got two veterans to help you out, though, because your owner is David Gilland and Shane Wilson's been atop the pit box for you this season as a crew chief. Tell me a little bit about Shane, because he's got championship pedigree. He's worked with some of the greats in this sport from Ron Hornaday to Kevin Harvick to Clint Boyer. I'm sure that he's got to have some fun stories as well. Yeah, yeah, he does for sure. And that's, you know, that's one thing that's kind of funny. So I get to the track like four or five hours before the race starts and me and him pretty much just sit up in the lounge and, and and talk the whole time. So, yeah. um, you know, it's pretty fun and I've really enjoyed working with Shane this year. He's been, uh, really awesome to work with. And like you said, he's a really, really good crew chief and, uh, has been able to, to teach me a lot and kind of put things in different perspectives that, um, you know, I wouldn't have seen that way if, if it wasn't for him. So, hmm. um, definitely, uh, pretty thankful that he came over this year and, and was able to work with me for my first year in trucks and, and whatnot. And, you know, I think, uh, hopefully we can continue to work together for, for the years to come, but, um, yeah, he's a super good dude. And, you know, honestly, at first I wasn't too sure how we were going to get along just cause we're so different. Um, and I, you know, like when I met him, he was real like laid back and kind of quiet and was just kind of like, Oh yeah, well, we'll get there. And, you know, and then you have me where I'm like, I want to win. I want to win. I want to win. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Uh, honestly, like a lot of the things that he's taught me has, has been good for me. So, you know, and that's where I think 
the patient part comes in. Yeah, for um, sure. I feel like he's gonna have a big part and, and help me do that. So, um, yeah, I enjoy working with him, and, and he's done a, a really good job, especially um, you know the second half of the year. I feel like he's really kind of got things going the way in the direction that he wants them to go in, and uh, so I'm I'm super excited for the last few races and you know try to learn as much as we can before next year so we can uh, you know start out the year a little bit better. It's good stuff. How how hands on is David as an owner? And I know in K and N he was at the track a little bit, and I I think he was actually able to race against you in a couple races, if I'm right, maybe. Yeah, I think I'm trying to think of what races he ran. It might have been Gateway. There were yeah, I know he definitely ran Gateway, uh-huh. but I feel like he ran another one, but I don't remember which one it was. Maybe Bristol. I don't know, but it was for sure Gateway. Yeah, no, for, he definitely ran Gateway. but yeah, Not everybody can say down. that they raced against their owner. That's pretty cool. This is true. This is true. <laughs> he's, uh, he's super hands-on, and, um, you know, it's really cool to to have him in the shop, um, you know, to help me and, and everybody else um, that comes in here. You know, obviously, he was a cup guy for a reason, so he's obviously pretty good and um, knows what he's talking about. So, you know, when you have questions or anything like that, it's always nice to be able to go and, and lean on the team owner for, for advice like that. Um, but yeah, like I said, he's super hands-on. I feel like he's always in here working on the trucks himself and, and, uh, whatnot. And yeah, I think he'll even tell you, I think he, he tries to get out here and work on the trucks as much as he can. Cause he, he hates sitting behind the desk in his office. Yeah, I bet. Um, and you know, that, that's cool to, to see that, you know, uh, the guy who, who runs the deal is, is that dedicated to it and, and wants to see us see it succeed as, as much as he does. So, um, you know, it's been a, a really cool deal to, to see how everything has grown even since I've been here and, yeah. and continues to grow. And I feel like they've done a really good job with everything. So, um, you know, hopefully we can get everything a little bit better for next year and, and see everything pay off. It's been cool. Multiple manufacturers, multiple drivers, multiple divisions, a lot of wins. It's been cool to see DGR's growth for sure. I tentatively have your brother to chat with next week. So can you give me some dirt on him? Like, what should I make fun of him about? Oh, dang. It's a loaded um, question, I know. Yeah. Or you could just text me and I can just bust his balls about it. I'm trying to think. Is he good at golf too? No, he's terrible. You can ask <laughs> him about some of the old go-kart stories that him and I have okay. back when when I was helping him about, at Millbridge. There's some okay. funny ones. I will. I'll be sure to do that. He tried, he tried to choke me out at Millbridge one time. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, but you can ask him why. Can I get your side of the story, please? Yeah. Um, so we were at Millbridge and, um, you know, growing up, he was a, he was a little bit of a, um, just a, a big kid, just like naturally just a big kid and, um, whatnot. And we were trying to race go-karts. So obviously every little bit matters. And he was always, the cart was always a little bit overweight. And so I was always telling him, I'm like, dude, I need you to stop. He, he ate junk all the time. And when you had Dr. Do, Pepper, he had junk food. I get it. Yes, exactly. Um, but never wanted to do anything. Just always like sit on the couch. And I'm like, dude, if you're going to race, like in order for us to be like, like I said, I'm competitive. So I was always on him about, yeah. you know, trying to take care of himself so we can lose, get some weight off the car so we can go faster. Right. Like the normal stuff. Well, one day I'm out there and I decided not to race so I could work on his go-kart. And uh, I get out there early and have everything set up. And I'm sitting there waiting around and, and 
it's like five minutes before hot lap starts and he comes like strolling in with his with his gear bag and like walks up and he's like is the go-kart ready i'm like yeah it's ready like i've been <laughs> waiting all day right so he goes in there and changes and, and comes out and he goes to get in the cart and like his group is like rolling out and he's just now coming to strap in and if you know my brother like he's in no hurry to do anything <laughs> like he's very laid back and just kind of like yeah whatever and i'm like dude get in the cart and uh he like goes to get in well all of a sudden the, the seat doesn't fit him now Ooh. and because he hadn't raced in a little bit and the seat didn't fit him and so like his group's rolling out i'm like what the hell so like i pull him out <laughs> and uh i like yank all the seat foam out and like oh, take all the seat out and go to like shove him in well then he goes to put the belts on and the belts are too small and he can't get the belts <laughs> latched so i'm sitting there like trying to latch the belts and he's like yelling at me and I'm like punching him in the side of the helmet. And I'm like, I've been telling you to you know, stop <laughs> and everything else. And, uh, we go to put the steering wheel on like the steering wheels, like rubbing against the cam lock on the belts. And like, he's like, I can't turn the steering wheel. I'm like, deal with it. Well, I was probably, I was mouthing off probably a little too much. And, uh, you know, like yelling out cause I was, I was pretty mad about it. And he like reached up and grabbed me by the throat. And we're like in the middle of Millbridge. And he's like grabbing me by the throat trying to choke me out from the cart. And like it was a disaster. So yeah, I think that oh was actually the last time God. that I ever cruised just go kart. <laughs> I would hope so. What an amazing story. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it was it was a disaster. He was uh and you know he was a, he was like like I said he was laid back but he was uh he was kind of a feisty kid so it made it interesting. I cannot wait to get his side of the story with that. And yeah, I will report back immediately. It. Wow. That was yeah. Crazy. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. So you ask him. Nope. I don't think anybody could forget if that was what happened to him. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. That was great. Um, no. All right, Tanner. Last one. I thank you for being a great sport with me and giving me so much time next year. Uh, 2020 was a whirlwind in every sense of the word. We still don't really know what the truck schedule is going to look like for next year. Uh, we do know that Haley Deegan is going to be running full-time with DGR. I'm not sure if it's official yet in terms of your plans for 2021, but are you going to be back full-time with DGR? Yeah, I think that's the plan. Um, I think we're still trying to work some things out, but um, I'd probably plan on that and, and uh, pretty much say yeah. Cool. Uh, realistic goals for next year? Win a race, I assume? Yeah, I honestly, win races. Um, I mean, I think there's no reason why we can't. I feel like, you know, we've been doing a, a better job getting the trucks better. And, um, you know, even looking at it from, you know, another perspective, I feel like Todd's ran pretty good this year and mm -hmm. uh, has been close. Just neither one of us has been able to seal the deal so far. So um, I don't think there's any reason why these trucks can't win races. It's just a matter of putting everything together and, and going and doing it. So, um, you know, hopefully we can do that and uh, win a couple races. Well, I got no doubt that you'll be in victory lane sooner rather than later, brother. You go uh, keep fighting the good fight and we'll hopefully be talking with you soon. Hopefully at the racetrack in person, who knows if that'll happen anytime soon, but it's been fun yeah, catching up so. with you, man. Yeah, man. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. No problem. Thanks Tanner. And we're back. Thank you guys for listening to that. I thought Tanner was pretty fun to listen to. And that story at the end was, was really something. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Interesting story too. I don't think that we see a lot of people that are super, super established and champions in their own specific disciplines come over to NASCAR and have success right away. And Tanner hasn't had the amount of success that he's wanted to immediately, but he's done pretty well for himself. Also need to give a big, big thank you 
to Lori over at DGR. She's helped me coordinate the interview with Tanner and his brother, younger brother Taylor that we had last week for the last few weeks here. She's helped me get some photos to promote the podcast on social. So Lori, if you're listening, thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. You've been a great help to me this year and last year, and I'm looking forward to working with you in the future. You've been great. So thank you, Lori. Let's preview the championship for race weekend at Phoenix cup series, Brad, Joey, Denny, Chase. Who's it going to be? Well, let's take a look at the tail of the tape. Keselowski, he's the best on 750 horsepower tracks this season, and he's bringing the same car he dominated New Hampshire with and he dominated Richmond with. Those tracks are comparable to Phoenix. The tire compound is the same. The aero package is the same. Keselowski, maybe he's the driver to beat? I don't know. Let's look at Denny Hamlin, second best driver all season long statistically. You can't really quantify this, but it just feels like his time. He won this race one year ago with his back against the wall to get into the championship four at Homestead. He came up a little bit short. Chris Gabehart put a little too much tape on the nose, and they weren't able to bring home the title last year. But he's 39 right now. He either has turned 40 or will turn 40. And he has a lot of momentum on his side from the year as a whole. Maybe not recently, but it just feels like his time right now. Joey Logano, underdog, not to him. He won at Phoenix earlier this season, the last race before the pandemic shut everything down. And I believe coming into Phoenix, he has four or five straight top 10 finishes in the playoffs. He's been one of, if not the hottest drivers in the playoffs for the totality of the nine races that we've had so far. And you remember what happened in 2018, right? The big three and me. And it wound up being me who won the championship, that being Joey Logano coming out of nowhere. And he said afterwards, like, look, Everybody can say that I'm the dark horse. Everybody can say that I'm the underdog. In my mind, I'm the favorite, and we truly believe that at the 22 team. So we'll see if he can do it again. And he can't forget about Chase Elliott. He has all the momentum, and he has a really good track record at Phoenix. Mentally, I think he may be in the best place he's ever been in his career. And Chase doesn't show a lot of emotion. He doesn't really lend a peek behind the curtain too much. But we saw a little bit of that in his uh, celebration after Martinsville. I mean, you can't get more of a clutch performance than he showed at Martinsville, and you saw the emotion come out. So now that he's in the championship four for the first time in his career, first time for Chevrolet since 2016, he wants to bring that title not only to Hendrick Motorsports, not only to Chevrolet, not only to Alan Gustafson and his nine guys, but I think he wants to prove a lot of people that he's not just Bill Elliott's son. He's not just the most popular driver. He's a damn good race car driver, and he can win a title. So there's a lot of people to choose from. Let's talk about Xfinity and trucks briefly before I get my picks. Um, I'll go quicker on these. Xfinity, Allgaier loves Phoenix. It's his personal playground. I think when they announced that it was moving from Homestead to Phoenix, the happiest guy out of them all was probably Justin Allgaier because, God, he's really good at Phoenix. It's been the Briscoe and Cindric show all season long, and Justin Haley's kind of come out of nowhere. He also talked with us at Championship 4 Media Day, basically saying, look, people are overlooking me. That's fine. Like My season's a success because I got to the Championship 4. So everything else is a bonus, kind of as Harvick was saying earlier, different circumstances. But can he surprise everybody and just come out of nowhere and have Collard Racing earn their first championship? Or is Justin Allgaier going to do what he does best at Phoenix and dominate? What about Cindric or Briscoe? Is Briscoe going to drop the mic and go on to the Cup Series as a champion? Who knows? We, we shall see. 
And in the Chuck series, you get your GMS threesome, one rookie, Creed, who's been a bit of a dart without feathers, as Alan Kavanaugh says, who's been learning all year, and Brett Moffitt, a former champion who took until Kansas in the playoffs to win his first race this year. There's a lot of different storylines within that specific organization. And then you have the savvy veteran of Grant Enfinger, who's been around the block a time or two. He's an ARCA champion, knows what it takes to win titles in NASCAR. Jeff Hensley as his crew chief. He's gotten close with Mike Skinner in 2007. I believe they finished second together. And I'm, I'm sure he would love to bring Jeff, his crew chief, a title this year. So I don't know who's going to win any of these. I mean, we don't. But here are my picks. I'll, I'll go from least to most important, I guess you could say. Trucks. I don't know why I'm picking this person, but it's a gut feeling. I'm going Sheldon Creed to win. Um, Xfinity, I think Allgaier is going to win. I think Phoenix just plays really well into his hands, and he's going to be able to win the race outright as well as Creed. I think if you're going to win the race, you're going to win the championship. But for the Cup Series, I actually think Harvick's going to win the race. And for the first time in this format, you're going to see the champion not win the season-ending race. My gut... Hold on. Okay. Here's the thing. Before the season, I picked Denny. Before the playoffs, I picked Denny. But my gut's telling me Brad. It it really is. I, I think something about the package, the tire compound, what he's done at Richmond and, and New Hampshire. He seems in a really good headspace as well. Jeremy Bullens, I think he secretly has something to prove because everybody wrote him off. So I think Brad Kozlowski is going to be your 2020 Cup Series champion. Tune in this weekend, NBC. We'll all find out together. Lug Nuts of the Week. Cue that funky music, white boy. No penalty was assessed to Eric Jones in the radio communication snafu for Martinsville. It was interesting because you heard, quote, don't pass him, Jones. And there was a lot of different stuff about the 100% rule and should he have passed him because he's getting fired yada 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 but no penalties for that also no penalties for kevin harvick intentionally trying to wreck kyle bush we do have some lug nut penalties jason burdett was fined five thousand dollars for in the xfinity series and adam stevens 10k at in the cup series for loose lug nuts at martinsville speaking of jason burdett his driver justin allgaier who i just picked to win the xfinity title he and brand professional agriculture are going to be back with junior motorsports next season we assume that was going to be a case, the case, but now it's official. As well as his teammate, Michael Annette, who's going to be back with Pilot Flying J in the one car at JRM for next season. Also, would be remiss if we didn't chat about the final scheduled start in the Cup Series as a full-time driver for Jimmy Johnson. He is the greatest of all time, no doubt about it. And um, by the time you're listening to this, I probably will have shared um, a fun story of his dad, Gary, who gave the command of fire engine to Texas on my Twitter account. Um, JJ is is a class act, six ways a Sunday, any way you slice it. I'm, I'm really going to miss him being on track in 2021 and beyond. And I wish that I could go back in time to like 05, 06, up to like 2013 and appreciate the dominance that Jimmy ha- has shown us. I mean, I've never seen Petty race. I did not see Dale Sr. race. But Jimmy's all I've really known, and he's been a class act, as I said, in every sense of the word. And he's been the best race car driver in NASCAR history, in my mind. So, Jimmy, I, I know you're listening, my friend. And I want to say thank you for all you've done for the sport. Congratulations on an incredible career. Farewell, Jimmy. We'll see you in IndyCar. 
That'll wrap things up for episode 80 of Victory Lane 2.0. I don't know what we're going to do next week. I have a feeling we shouldn't have a guest because it would get buried in recapping the championship. So maybe I'll have somebody on. I don't know who, but we'll see. But uh, if you like what you heard today, please do me a favor. Leave a rating and a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. We should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, drop me a line and I'll try to rectify that issue for you. But please leave a rating and review. That helps us out. And tell your friends. Spread the word. I really am trying to get this thing to the next level off the ground and running. So until next time, enjoy the racing at Phoenix. Enjoy championship weekend. I will talk to you guys next week. Stay safe. Stay inside. Keep washing those hands. Hopefully by the time you're also listening to this, we know who's the president uh, starting next year. (laughs) And I'll catch you on the flip side.